Every culture in the world has its forgotten members of society, plain and simple. I don't think it's because we just don't care. It's because it's out of sight, maybe out of mind. Um, and we're busy. We're busy with our own lives. I mean, we have our own children. We have our job, and we have to provide for our families. And so we work to put bread on the table. We work to have a little bit of extra, maybe to give, maybe to go on vacation or put into savings. But we just don't intentionally forget or ignore. But sometimes it happens within the body of Christ then once in a while we brush up against an issue such as adoption. And we might consider it actually for like one hot second and we say, well, you know what? <clears throat> I, I have my own kids. I have so much in my life that's going on and, and I just don't think I can handle it physically or emotionally or maybe even spiritually. And so we kind of dismiss it and we move on. And, and maybe, truth be known, maybe in the back of our minds we might say, you know what, why, why would I take on the problems that somebody else created? Not that a child's a problem, but we would think it maybe, but not say it. As a result, forgotten members of our society grow up in foster care, um, in institutions, in places around the world, it's like that. Um, and sometimes they are raised by those that are willing to raise them. And sometimes, especially in other parts of the world, it's gangs. Or it's even ISIS. It's interesting to watch how many people flood into ISIS that come from broken homes or broken identities. And sometimes we just shake our heads, we purse our lips, and we're just like, man, why does this kind of stuff happen? If our government could just do a better job, if maybe community organizations were out there that were doing a better job at, at addressing these issues, if we could address the issue of poverty, then these things are going to go away. And yet, as a church, as the bride of Christ, we need to ask ourselves, seriously, what part of the solution should we be? After all, Jesus said that you are the light that is on the, on the, on the hill that is shining. You are that light that is shining. He says in 1 Timothy that we are the household of God. That we are the pillar and the foundation of truth. We are the world's solution. And how do we as a church come alongside of the forgotten members, the forgotten children of our society? Well, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the issue of adoption, and we're going to first look at the issue of adoption from what we have been recipients of, or at least it's available to you. You may not be an adopted child of God right now, but my prayer is by the end of this message you would be. 
So we're going to look at the adoption, and then when we understand what God has done for us, then we in turn can understand what we can do for other people and the responsibility that we, we're going to have, or that we have. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Seven short verses will be our text for today. Now as we look at this passage, I want to give you the context of the passage here. The context of the passage is Paul is writing to the Galatian church, which is, by the way, made up of Jews and Gentiles in this church. And what he wants them to do is to understand the great salvation that God has given them. But there was a problem within the church. There were some that were trying to come into the church, outside influences, that were trying to convince individual members of that church that there were certain things that they had to do to be righteous before God. They had to circumcise themselves. They had to do certain things. And so, actually, a lot of the Jewish people were trying to force the Gentiles into Jewish laws from the Old Testament. It would be equivalent to somebody today saying, listen, in order for you to be saved, you got to go to church, you got to be baptized, you got to be confirmed, you have to have your first communion, you have to go to confession, you have to, go, you have to be married. These are, all, these are all things for a part of your salvation. That's how I grew up. I grew up with many of those things being saying that's part of your salvation. And so these were the influences here. And so the Apostle Paul is setting the record straight and he's helping them understand what true salvation is all about. And so what he does is he does something absolutely amazing and beautiful and he gives an analogy on adoption. And he uses this vivid imagery of how God has adopted us to, for them to have a greater appreciation for what God has done for them. And so our goal today is to look at that and then understand what God has done for us. Let's pray that our hearts would be receptive to God's Word. Lord Jesus, as we look at your Word, I pray, Father, that you would allow your Spirit to speak to us on the deepest level possible. I pray, Father, that you would put convictions on our hearts, help us to see our need, Help us to recognize what you have done. Help there to be an amazing gratitude within our hearts that it would result in me being a Christ follower who is in a redemptive work, that we would be your hands and feet of redemption to other people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us very clearly. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you know me in terms of preaching, I'm not a big one for alliteration, but today I, I've alliterated. So I got three, three R's that I want you to think about in regards to adoption. I'll give them to you now, then you'll see them in the PowerPoint as we go through. We're going to talk about first the right of, to adoption. We're going to look at the resource for adoption, and we're going to have the realization of adoption. And so I want you to kind of follow along. This is a great message for you to take notes and, and, take, and think about this later. I would challenge you to do that. Let's talk about the rights to adoption or the rights to adoption in verses 1 to 3. This is what Paul says. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardian and managers until the date set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, in this three verses, in these three verses, we see two things that we're born into. We're born with rights, but we're also born as slaves. That might seem like a contradiction, but let's take a look at this. First of all, born with rights. In these verses, Paul paints a picture of a child of royalty. Notice the words that he uses in this verse. He says they are an heir he, uh, that, ha that is a rightful owner of everything. Now take note that the child did nothing to deserve it. They were born as heirs. They were born as owners of everything. This was a privilege that they were born with. As Paul develops this, he, be, he becomes crystal clear here that he is wanting the readers to understand that this is how they once were. He's basically describing how they were as lost individuals. He wanted them to know that they were children born with privileges. As Josh said earlier, we're not born as uh, God, we're not born uh, alive as Christians. We're born as children of God in the sense that we have been created by God. Now last week we talked about why we can say such a thing because God is the one that knit us together in our mother's womb. Psalm 139 verse 13 talks about that. We were told last week that we are stamped with the image of God. That's another privilege we have because we bear the image of God in our life. And finally, we know from Romans chapter 2 that God has also stamped within us a conscience. A conscience that's, uh, in a sense, a moral beacon. You're not, you don't have to be a saved individual. Everybody has this, and this is part of the privilege that we have. Now, before we get excited about being heirs and on all the things that God has given us, we have to realize that in order for us to appropriate and apply it in our life, that there are a few things that have to happen in each of our lives in order for us to understand that. And namely, adoption needs to take place. We'll talk about that in a minute. Growing up means that we move from a status of slave, which I'll talk about, to being a person that is free and a person that is in that royalty and understanding what God has done in our life. Now let's talk about the slavery. We're born also as slaves because look at the passage. Paul says, as long as he is a child, he is no different than a slave. The word slave is the word doulos, which means bondservant. A bondservant was somebody that had the lowest rank in a household. This was the person that would wash your feet when you came in in the Jewish culture. This was the lowest of low, and it was, in a sense, describing a caste system, that there were those that were servants and there were those that were royalty. Recently, my wife and I started watching Downton Abbey. I don't, any Downton Abbey fans in here? There's a few of you. And this vividly displays this idea of servants and royalty. 
if you're not familiar with this, it is, it is a situation in England that is showing that the servants in a home that live in very base, uh, base conditions, they are the ones that have hardly anything, they get a modest pay, but they're always taking care of those that were the lords of the home. They're clothing them, they're fixing the food for them, they're putting the coats on them, they're doing everything and the lords are walking around in their lap, lap of luxury and they're just having everybody serve them. Now here's the picture here. The strange twist in the passage is that we're born with royal rights, but it isn't realized until we transition into adulthood, in other words, salvation, until adoption has taken place. Until that point, verse 2 says that we, uh, we are servants who are under the guardian or the managers, the tutors uh, of uh, we're under a manager or a tutor, and I'll explain that in a minute, until the date that our father has stated. Now, in Jewish culture, the father was key in the transition of a young man into adulthood. And so uh, what Paul is basically saying, until you come of age, until there comes an event where you become an adult. So what is Paul trying to teach us here? Paul is trying to show us through this analogy that what our pre-salvation pre condition was like. And that our pre-salvation condition is like a child who has rights but has not experienced those rights because of immaturity and because of their lost state. Verse 3 says that this individual is enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, what they're doing is they're going through life that they're just operating by how the world thinks. Now, we know this. We hear it all the time. There are people that operate on what they think is good wisdom, but it is of the world. I heard, I heard a lady once say, she said to me, she says, you know, the good book says God helps those who help themselves. And I thought to myself, the good book doesn't say that. I didn't correct her. But these are the things that are stated. The world says, just try harder. Just got to pull, pull it up by the bootstraps, man. And you just try harder. And you can do it. And the world will say, if it feels right, just do it. And the world says, you just, God just wants you to be happy. That's what it's about, that your happiness. And so there's all of these elementary principles of the world that are guiding individuals that are in a sense of childhood. They might be adult, but they're walking around in childhood and they don't even realize that they're actually slaves. They're slaves to sin. They're in bondage to these ideas and the grips of the enemy. Now what's interesting is that God says, I've given a guardian, a tutor, now, for the Jews, the guardian or the tutor was the law. It was the Old Testament laws that were given to help direct them to show that they needed a Messiah. They saw all the laws that they couldn't keep, and they're like, I failed at that, failed at that, failed at that. I need a Savior. I need a Savior really, really bad. For the Gentiles who did not have the Jewish law, they had a conscience. And that conscience was that moral compass that was pushing them. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. This is right. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. 
And for all Jews and Gentiles, and for us today, we have the Holy Spirit. And you know the Holy Spirit's job, according to John 16, 8? His job is to go around and to convict, to be a prosecuting attorney to those that are around us. And his job is to prosecute and help us to understand sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin is where we're out of bounds. It's where we're going in the wrong direction. Righteousness is what is right. Here's where I want you to go, and judgment is the consequence if you don't listen to the Spirit of God. So this is all happening around us in the world today and in our midst. And the point is that God is navigating us towards the truth. Why? Because you're His child. He created you in His image. He put His conscience in. He wants every single person to come to a place of adoption. But the reality is He doesn't force any of us. It is very possible that we can go our entire life and live in this childhood status, slavery status, and never come and submit ourselves to God. And what we do is we then forfeit our rights of royalty. And we become, go into eternity in bondage. So, that's the rights that we have. That's what Paul's saying. But what is the resource? Now, this is what is so beautiful and so key for adoption. In order for adoption to happen, these two verses need to take place. This is the resource for adoption. Follow along closely. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, redeemed, to redeem those under the law so that they might have, may receive adoptions as sons. In these two verses, the word adoption is mentioned for the very first time. And what we see is adoption is the key from transitioning from slavery to royalty. And notice what God did in his son. There's five things that Paul mentions, and they're packed with meaning. The first thing he says is that the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Here's the first thing. Jesus came at the right time. Jesus came at the right time. If you stand back from history and just look at the history books, you see how God was paving the way. The Greeks preceded the Romans. And in the Greek Empire, they made sure that they dominated the world. And not only did they dominate the world, but Koine Greek became the trade language of the land. And so he prepared the way for people to have a universal language within that region. So he prepared the way. Then comes the Romans. The Romans were culture builders. They were civilization builders. They loved roads. They loved aqueducts. They loved sewer systems. And they paved all these roads all over, over that part of the world. Why? Because in the perfect fullness of time, God knew that the gospel would need to go out unhindered and those roads would take the gospel all around the world. God used the Jewish people that preached that there would be one, that there is one God, one Messiah that would come, and someday he would come. Even though many of them didn't believe it themselves, it was in their scriptures, it was in the message that they had heard. And so, in the perfect fullness of time, God sent his son on a mission, a specific mission, to leave the glories of heaven to come to the likes of this earth. So, that's what God did. The second thing Paul says is Jesus was fully human. He says she was born of a woman. 
And so what is, Jesus, what is Paul saying here? He is showing us the greatest paradox known to man. The greatest paradox is that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man at the same time. The Holy Spirit impregnated Mary with his holy seed, the sinless seed. The very seed that was predicted in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Remember what God said to, to, the, the, to the serpent? He said, her seed will crush your head. In the fullness of time, God sent his son through a virgin birth. It was a perfect birth. It was a, a flawless birth because it was a sign of God. God even spoke hundreds of years before through a prophet named Isaiah. And he says, this is what the sign will be. He says this, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Do you realize that the virgin birth is a proof of deity? It is the proof of the Messiah? Jesus came at the right time. Jesus was fully human, but he says that he came to fulfill the law. Now get that. Fulfill the law. For thousands of years, there were Jewish people that were trying to fulfill the law. God had given not just 10 commandments. He had given over 600 commands that the Jews were to keep. And one Jew after another throughout history said, I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail. And they would take animal sacrifices. They would see the lifelessness leave that animal sacrifice. And they'd realize, my sin caused that. The wages of sin is death. But then comes along a lamb, a perfect lamb, the lamb of God, as John talks about, who came to take away the sins of the world. And what Jesus did is he fulfilled the law perfectly. There wasn't a single mistake that Jesus made. There wasn't a single flaw that he was responsible to claim. None, period. He fulfilled it. For the Jew, the law was a curse because it pointed their need for God. But look what Galatians 3 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on the tree. Not only did Jesus come at the right time, not only was he fully human and fully God, but he went in perfection and paid for our sins and became a curse for us. That's why he went to the cross. Because you and I, we are disgusting. We are disgusting in our sin. Our sin is so repulsive to God. The things that we think is just minor, no, no. They are repulsive to God. But God says, I am not going to leave you in that repulsive state. I am going to die for you. I will become sin for you. I will take your your, 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 all the things that you do, all the wicked attitudes, the mindsets, the things that go through your, your, your body, your mind, your attitudes, your actions. I'm going to take it all. It's all on me. I will pay the price so you don't have to. What a beautiful thing. At the right time, he became fully human and he fulfilled the law. Why did he do it? So he could set the captive free. So that he could set the captive free. It says in, the in our passage, to redeem those that are under the law. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the demands of God, but it was the resurrection of Christ that secured the victory. 
so that we could be redeemed. The word redeemed is a process of setting one free from slavery. Do you remember in the first three verses what we were considered? What are we considered? We're considered slaves. He came to set us free from that slavery. And so the word redeem actually means to literally buy out of the marketplace. It was a picture of slaves that were standing on a, a kind of a, a stage area and there would be owners that would come and would purchase these individuals. It's a disgusting analogy, but God turns it and says, no, this is what I did. Each and every one of you were slaves on that slave stand. And what I did is I came and I purchased for you and you and you and you and every single person by the blood of Christ and by the resurrection of Christ, I showed myself victorious. What an awesome God we have. Romans 10 says the thing that we need to do is to call out on the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. See, we just don't assume that identity. We don't just assume that forgiveness. It comes to a point where we say, yes, Lord, I am wrong. I have been going in the wrong direction, and I am turning from my sins. It's not somebody else's sins. It's not somebody else's problem. It's my problem. And I'm asking you, God, to forgive me of my sin. I call upon you. And then look what beautiful thing happens in that says that so that we might be, receive adoptions as sons. Adoption as sons. In other words, we become full, right heirs of the King of Kings. See, this final resource calls us, transitions us from this childhood slavery under law to now we are adults, royalty under grace. The word adoption is describing the act of someone who is the offspring of another who's brought into God's family. Now this is good news for some of us. Some of us have not had the best of upbringings. For some people, and I know because I've talked to you over, to, over time, there are some people when they hear the word mother or they hear the word father, they cringe at it because of their personal experience. Praise God, that's not the case for every person. But for the person that thinks that, that feels that, please understand, this is the beauty of adoption. You have a new father. You have a one who, who cares for you intimately, perfectly, and will never give up on you. He calls us sons. But we have to transition from that point of being captives. Galatians 3.23 says, We were held prisoner by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Colossians 1.13 says that, we were locked up in darkness until Jesus rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This adoption process happens at the moment of our salvation when we confess our sins. My friends, this is the resource that God has given us. It is the only resource by which we transition from slavery to adoption. Now here's, before we move on, I don't want to make the mistake of just assuming that we're all there. Sometimes we go to church and we think by going to church that makes me a Christian. I want you to know that's not the case. Being a Christian is a decision that you make. It's a point in your life when you realize that I am absolutely vile before God. I do recognize my sin. And I do re recognize that I cannot pay for my sin myself. 
And you finally come to that place of yielding. Jesus said that we need to repent and believe, and I believe in our society we have half the equation. Many people go around saying, oh, I thank the man upstairs. I thank God. I thank God. I thank God because, you know, he's my Lord and Savior. But their life reflects nothing of that. They have the believe part, but they don't have the repent part. The repent part is saying, I'm coming grips with my own sin, and I am willing, finally willing, to yield my life completely to the living God, and I am going to turn over all my sin, all the stupid mistakes that I've made, and I'm turning it over to God. I am giving it completely to Him. Lord, I yield to you. My friends, that's a decision that you have to make. I want to pause just to pray right now. Bow your heads. There might be some here today that right now you'd say, you know, I don't know with 100% certainty that I am a child of God, that I've transitioned into being an adopted child of God. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I won't point you out. I just want to pray for you if that's you. Lord, you know where we are. You know the people that are raising their hands right now. And you know their condition. I pray, Father, that they would, with their full heart, acknowledge you. And I pray, Father, that you would do a work in their life. Help them as they yield themselves to you. Help them as they come alongside of other brothers and sisters to fully understand what this salvation is all about. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we go to the last point, the last R, and that is the realization of adoption. Take a look at this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, in these last two verses, we see the realization that a transition has actually take place in our life. It is that aha moment where you realize what God has done for you. Were you there? Some of you are basketball fans, but it was game seven, and the clock finally hit double zero. And what, what happened? There was actually a pause. There was actually a gasp. And then there was the realization the curse is gone. We're winners. We're winners. And we're going around our living room and we're just like, oh, I can't believe this. This is incredible. Wow. That this can't be true. Replay that. <laughs> this can't be true. Far greater than a basketball game, my friends, is the day that we realize what God has fully done for us. All your mistakes, past, present, and, for, and future, forgiven. All your failures, covered. All your spiritual fines that you owe are paid in full. All the endless wandering, you're found. All the confusion, you're now secure. Oh, on top of this, God puts his spirit who lives within our hearts, and he says that now, because of that intimate relationship with him, that we can actually call him Abba. Daddy. Daddy. Daddy beautiful gift. If there isn't something that would cause you to dance in your living room and for you to rejoice, it's that very truth of adoption of what God has done for you. My wife and I have adopted 
a daughter, uh, cross-culturally, a little girl named Dewey Dewey. She lives in Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai, Thailand. Dewey has no biological parents. She is an orphan. And her grandmother lives far away. And before she came to the Remember New Home, she was, in a sense, a slave to her environment. Most definitely, without intervention, Dewey would be today in the sex trade, being having to service many, multiple men every single day. And imagine the scars that go with that. But we're excited that Dewey, that's not her story because she was brought to a home and now she has come to know Jesus Christ as her Savior and he now, she now knows him as her King of King and Lord of Lords. And in that culture where the King is everything, that is an honorable thing. Not only does she get fed, not only does she get clothed, not only does she get spiritually nourished and educated and all those things, but she gets to bask in the reality of adoption. She gets to bask in the reality that she is a child of the king and that adoption for her isn't just a theory or an analogy. It is a reality that she is currently experiencing. What an awesome thing. So what is the serious evaluation for us? I want us to think about adoption in the same three R's that God has done for us. The reality is, since God has done this for us, should we not consider how we should be a part of adoption of others? Here's the right to adoption. Think about it. In Christ, we have rights to adopt. David Platt in his book, which we're encouraging to get and own, says this. I would maintain that men and women who believe the gospel have more motivation than any other people in the world, world to carry out the, this work. The gospel compels us to have a redemption ministry towards other people. Face it, God has placed us on this planet to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are to be that instrument of redemption to other people. There are many ways that uh, it ranges in which we can have a redemption type of ministry, but I believe every Christ follower should have a redemption type of ministry. I would like to talk just for a second of what it looks like in regards to adoption. There are some that would say, I just can't do that at this stage of my life. Well, here's a lesser way. You can sponsor a child that li like Lee and I have done. That makes a difference in a child's life. You can do that. You might be able to get involved in mentoring or tutoring uh, for people that don't have a good home life who need role models. You can do that through the school system, through, through community uh, uh, programs and through pro, uh, big brother, big sister type of programs. You can get involved in that way and make a difference. Let's say you would say, you know, I'll prayerfully consider on a greater level. Consider fostering. Consider fostering to adoption. Consider adoption. Today we have uh, Sharon. Sharon, raise your hand. Sharon is going to be in the commons. She's from the Stark County Children's Services, and she is going to have information for you to have. Now, please understand by going and talking to Sharon, don't be afraid. It doesn't commit you to adoption. It doesn't commit you to fostering. It gives you the information for you to prayerfully consider if this would be something that God would have for you to do. There's a moderate commitment in the sense that you could be a respite care for adoption or for foster care. You could go through the training and help being a part of the family. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So this is the right. What about the resources to adoption? 
The fact is, as I said earlier, the church is the answer to the world's problems. And God has placed us here. And when we put ourselves in a position of faith where we will be the solution for God, God will provide the necessary resources as long as we know that this is how God is leading. Because God has called uh, the church to be the pillar and foundation of the church. David Platt says, while God has called certain families to adoption and foster, he has called other families to give foster children rides and, and various... And, uh, to and from various places, other families to cook meals for foster families, and still other families to watch adopted children so adopted parents could have some time alone. Why do I quote that? Because I want us to see this is a family. We help each other out in the family. And here's the final R, the realization. Now I'm going to ask Joey and Josh Chandler and Brandy Spalding to come up. Lee couldn't be here today because he's working out of town. But these are folks that have been a part of this for quite some time. And so they're going to be the practical application to how do we look at the realization of adoption. What are some things that we should think about that we should consider? I'm going to have you guys scoot right over here, front and center. Sorry for the table being in the way. But I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to let you guys pass it around. Don't be afraid of the mic, hold it up to, to your chin. But I'm going to ask you, first of all, what has led you guys to fostering an adoption? Uh, for, for our family personally, um, early in Joey's life when she was supporting me through college, she became a preschool teacher. And uh, we had an example of a family who did... Uh, foster care and we had both been very gifted with children we had been around children our whole lives um, became very natural to us and when we saw that example for us um, we just said hey you know what I, I I feel that we have the giftedness to do that God is 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 placing that on our hearts uh, we began praying about it our kids were were really young at that point um, and we didn't feel that that, that that was the point at which God wanted us to take that step. Um, but we continued praying about that and kept that in view for, for many years. And um, about five years ago, um, I think we finally finally got the green light and uh, took the step of faith. And, and uh, that's when we, we made the jump. Okay. Can you guys tell us about the differences between fostering, adoption, and fostering to adopt? Um, so fostering, basically... Um, the, the definition of it would be is that these children are removed from their homes based on um, reasons of neglect, abuse, um, the parents having um, their own issues, whether it's drug abuse or um, just not able to cope and parent as they should. So these children are removed from their homes and they need some place to go. They need a safe place. They need a loving place. And that's where foster parents step in. We're able to take care of these kids in the process. We'll give them a loving home, a safe place, and just take care of them at that time. Straight adoption happens of one of two ways. You're doing a private adoption. These are usually infants. This is where the money's coming out of your pocket. This is where you're, you have a goal to have a child that's a baby. You can also adopt through your state, your county. These are children who have been in the foster system. These are children who have had their parental rights severed and are looking for ready homes. You can receive money through the state to help you take care of the cost and to help guide you into this adoption process. 
foster to adopt is when you open your home up to help children who are looking to be reunified. Reunification is always the key. Your goal is to be supportive of that child and the social worker and sometimes the family, the parents, to help guide them into that reunification process. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes parents just aren't able to get their lives together to work their case plan and an adoption plan is put into place. This is where you become an adoptive family of the children you have fostered. That was how we did it. We fostered our children and we became an adoptive family. We also did a, a straight adoption where our two oldest adoption, adopted children were with another family. They were with a foster family who decided that they couldn't make that commitment of another lifetime commitment. Their oldest was going into college. So we were connected for a straight adoption through Franklin County. So we've worked, I, my husband and I have worked both plans. What's the most common question that's asked of you guys about being foster families? Probably the most common question I get asked is, how do you do that? Don't you get attached? Well, guess what? All kids need to feel attached. They need to feel loved. They need to feel safe. And for them to form attachments with their foster parents will help them the rest of their lives, will help them attach to teachers, to family members, to spouses, to their own children. So yeah, we get attached. It hurts if they are reunified and they leave. Our hearts hurt for them, we miss them. But what a great blessing it is to be able to, to love these children as our own, even if we have to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. The most common thing I am asked is how do you deal with this? How do you deal with conflicts with the bio parents? How do you deal with children with high medical needs, mental needs? Because a lot of people see that my husband and I struggle through this. We have been that foster parent who have gone in to do a visit and have been accused by biological parents for things that had nothing to do with us, but they just couldn't, they have their own issues of dealing with somebody else taking their child. We've dealt with an infant who came in who was so severely delayed and has a medical binder that's probably six inches thick. You learn to find support systems. Joey and Josh became our support system through the training that we did at Job and Family Services. Joey welcomed us into the church and we found support through our community group. So you find your resources, you reach out to people who you didn't always reach out to, and you let them know, I need help. I'm an imperfect person taking care of an imperfect child and I need help. So that's what I've been asked most, is how do you cope, how do you deal? Now there's you, you deal, you've already mentioned that the biological parents, sometimes you have run-ins. How do you deal with hard things that you, hard realities of biological parents? Initially, a lot of screaming at your spouse. A lot of, can you believe what I just put up with? And then you talk to your caseworker and you're screaming, why are you allowing them to talk to me this way? She didn't have rotten teeth because of me. She had rotten teeth because you didn't take care of it. It's, this wasn't my fault, but then you, you talk to more people and you talk to your church family and you learn they're broken. These are broken people and 
they're lashing out, their hearts are hurting, and they need you to love them through it. They need you to love them as Christ would. And that's not always an easy pill to swallow, but it is a pill that you do take on. And in the end, it's something you appreciate. For us too, Josh and I had um, a wonderful experience um, for our first foster placement in California where the little boy was reunified. And this bio dad did everything he could to work his case plan. He loved his little boy. He had, yes, he had made mistakes, but Josh and I watched him at visits cry in the parking lot when I buckled that baby in the car seat and I drove away. He was a broken, broken man and he just wanted his little boy back and he did everything he could. So there, were, there are times of frustration, there are times of anger, there are times of things where we just don't understand how can these parents treat their children this way? How did this even happen? There are moments where you see reunification be a beautiful thing, and we were, have been able to walk the bio families through those times and be able to say, you know what, you are loved, we support you, you can do this, you deserve to have your children back. And I guess I, I would add, Steve, um, you, you talk a lot about uh, circle responsibility. You're trying to encourage us all to take responsibility for those that God puts uh, within that circle of influence that we have and in making a choice to foster and adopt, um, you're not only accepting the child into that circle, uh, but the bio family comes with that. And I think we just need to recognize um, that we are imperfect people. Uh, we have been influenced and impacted by things that have happened in our lives. Um, and many times we just, we can't even begin um, to appreciate and fathom the things that these parents have gone through. And so often we see that it, it really is a cycle. It's something that's happened generation after generation after generation. Um, and so if you can step back and gain that perspective, um, you can see them as a child of God knit together in her mother's womb or her father, his father's womb, um, and just see them and see their need for, for Christ. Um, I think that makes it a lot easier to, uh, to love them through it. Josh, um, I'm going to have the worship team come up, and they're actually going to be singing a song called Child of God. Uh, thanks for segue into that. So uh, they're going to be getting prepared. But I'd like you as an elder in the ministry and also as a dad and a husband to be able to give the challenge to this body. What would you say to our church in regards to the things that they've heard today, and what, what's your heart? Um, I would ask you to, to really pray about it, to, to, to seriously think. And I'm going to tell you, the first answer you're going to give yourself or your spouse is going to look over at you and give is, heck no. This isn't for us. That's too much work. Uh, we have our own kids. We don't have the time. Um, but I, I would ask you to really be still before God and ask if this is something that you could do, if there's a way that you could have an impact uh, for Christ in this area. Um, I don't need to pull the heartstrings. Um, you know that children need the love. Um, they need a, a, a safe and secure place. Um, they need to see what loving parents look like. Um, and I know that, that, that you have that ability. So um, I would just really consider, I would ask you to, to, to seriously consider whether or not this is something you could do. And I guarantee you um, that he will enable you to do it despite the doubts, despite the fears that you might have right now. Uh, I guarantee you that step of faith will be accompanied by um, a God who is able uh, to, to see you through it. Thank you very much. Think about you being a child of God, us being a child of God, and what God has done for us in this last song. And then please see Sharon uh, in the comments.